a large number of monumental edifices of eternal value have been built across the country and streets and villages have turned into a socialist level of bliss. Kim Jong-un said these words on the 27th of April, 2012. So this is how liberty dies. Welcome to Liberty Dies with Thunderous Applause. I'm your host Scott, and you've just heard from Uncle Ian. And today we're in Korea with the three Kims, Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il, and Kim Jong-un, number three. Liberty Dies with Thunderous Applause is a history podcast obsessed with history's biggest dictators. We have created a knockout tournament to determine the single biggest dictator of all time. The loser of each battle is eliminated from the tournament. The winner remains in the contest to be crowned history's biggest dictator. So, Uncle Anne, why don't you kick us off? Kim number one, Kim Il-sung. Thanks, Scott. The Democratic People's Republic of Korea. (laughs) Now, Scott, we've learnt before that if you call it the Democratic People's Republic, there's a very strong chance that it isn't. Yes, the people do not get democracy. What the rest of the world calls North Korea, the Republic of Korea, to the south, a little bit smaller, the per capita gross domestic product of South Korea is approximately 50 times greater than the per capita gross domestic product of the North. Until 1945... Korea was one country, had been one country for some 15 centuries. The actual name Korea comes from the Goryeo dynasty, which dates from the 14th century. In 1910, the Japanese moved in and stayed until 1945. But they weren't invited to move in, were they? They weren't invited to move in, Scott. That's exactly right. In 1945, in 1945... The Soviet Union and the USA set up two temporary zones separated by the 38th parallel of latitude, the idea being that the USSR would support the North and the USA would support the South, pending an agreement on reunification. So it's the same situation that happened in Germany. The East was controlled by the the Russians and the West was controlled by the French and the Poms and the Americans. That was less temporary than the Germans wanted it to be, but still less temporary than the North Koreans are currently going through. Precisely. Uh, Spoiler alert, reunification hasn't happened. In 1948, two separate governments emerged. The northern of those two governments was led by our first dictator. Kim Song-ju was born on the 15th of April 1912 in a small mud-walled house on the outskirts of Pyongyang to a Protestant peasant couple. And it does seem to be that as his life went on, the small mud-walled house became even smaller and even more mud-walled. So... Yes, every communist needs humbler and humbler beginnings as he goes through his career. Precisely. This is the Korean equivalent of uh, being born in a log cabin and becoming president. In the 1920s, the family fled the Japanese, headed over the border to Manchuria. He joined a communist youth organisation and uh, landed in jail at the age of 17, which, as we know, is a pretty good training ground to later become a dictator. Yeah, if you're Stalin or Ceausescu or Lenin, it really helped them. That's exactly right. In the early 1930s, he joined a Korean guerrilla resistance group, changed his name, And the translation of his name is to become the son. And that's son, Scott, in the solar sense, not in the offspring sense. Yeah. It was a man of many names. He also went by the morning star, the elder grandson, the light from the east, settling on Kim Il-sung. 
During the 1940s, he attended political and military training in the Soviet Union and ended up becoming a major in the Soviet Army. Came to Stalin's attention and with Stalin's support in 1948, became the first premier of the newly established aforementioned Democratic People's Republic of Korea. So he was in the right place at the right time and knew the right people. Yes. In 1949, he was announced as chairman of the Korean Workers' Party. The main source of his authority within the party and within the North Korean population was that he had defeated the Japanese almost single-handed. Oh, yeah. So Not even with two hands, single-handed. Single-handed, Scott. And we've met that with some other dictators as well. I think Marcos single-handedly drove the Japanese out of the Philippines when he wasn't collaborating with them. <laughs> um, so he instituted his philosophy of juche. Now, in English, we would spell that J-U-C-H-E. It's a philosophy of self-reliance and self-sufficiency. Somewhat ironic, given that Kim required support from his communist neighbours in order to stabilise his regime. In June 1950, he decided he could unify the peninsula by force, and he convinced Stalin and Mao to support him in doing that. Uh, He was wrong. The armistice was signed on the 27th of July 1953, although the people in the north are told that they, well, actually he, won the victorious Fatherland Liberation War. Now, the North had been supported by the Soviet Union and by China, and the South was a United Nations force, of which the United States and the United Kingdom and Australia were key players. And if you'd like to know more about the Korean War from the United States viewpoint, then um, I would recommend that you watch MASH. But you would recommend people watch MASH regardless. That's true. Yes, I've just been waiting for 20-something episodes in order to be able to say that. That's true. (laughs) And it is important to note that it was an armistice. It wasn't a treaty. So technically, they're still at war. They're still in a state of ceasefire. Oh, that's great. And and that's why we've got a very heavily guarded demilitarised zone with... Tens of thousands of troops camped on it. Is it. Yeah, that's the irony of the demilitarised zone is that it's full of military. That's right. As a result of the Korean War, three million Koreans were dead, injured or missing. And that's, at the time, that was 10% of the population of the, of the peninsula. And it is estimated that 85% of all the structures in the north had been destroyed by US bombs. The regime became increasingly insular. Propaganda included the opera My Happy Country with a Great Leader. Now, Scott, I know you're a big fan and you'll remember learning lyrics such as Our fatherly leader, the people are unfailingly loyal to you. Our party is the best in the world. That's great stuff. They're not subtle, are they? Uh, No, they haven't held back. And look, I don't think it loses anything in the translation. Um. North Korea won television station, state-owned, of course, um, no foreign publications, no mail. You are assigned a job and you are not allowed to leave that job. Became an increasingly restrictive regime. Uh, the cult of personality became even more imposed on the people. In, in 1972, Kim promoted himself to be president and would henceforth be known as Great Leader. In 1980, the Sixth Party Congress elevated his eldest son to very senior and military posts. Repression continued. Prison camps, hundreds of thousands of people in prison camps. His political enemies were sent to work in the uranium mines, which came in very handy when he decided not to honour the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. During the 1980s, the regime was abducting Japanese so that they could serve as spies or as language teachers. 1988 brought a bit of a thawing of relations. Now, that coincided with the world spotlight being on Seoul during the Winter Olympic Games. North Korea did, in fact, send a team 
to the Olympic Games and they were very warmly welcomed in Seoul. I will, though, remind ourselves that in the late 1980s, Kim's foreign policy was also being influenced by the capitalist policies of China under Deng Xiaoping, which we've spoken about previously, and also the opening up of the Soviet Union under Gorbachev. And the Soviet Union, in fact, collapsed a couple of years later. In 1994, ex-US President Jimmy Carter, on behalf of then-President Bill Clinton, was preparing the ground for a meeting of the two Koreas. It didn't happen for another six years, because on the 8th of July, quote, the great heart stopped beating, according to the North Korean news agency. In best dictator practice, his death was not announced for 34 hours until the succession was sewn up, and that was in time to announce three years of mourning. It's a lot of mourning. That's a lot of mourning. The Korean people were rattled by Queen Elizabeth getting ten days. That's or right. She got three years. Yes, exactly. And Elizabeth II was on the throne for a lot longer. In the last years of his life, it was actually forbidden to take photos of Kim Il Sung at public events because of the ugly cricket ball-sized tumour growing out of his neck that he was a little bit embarrassed by. The Korean Central News Agency stated, He turned our country where age-old backwardness and poverty had prevailed into a powerful socialist country, independent, self-supporting and self-reliant. He was the son, again in the solar sense, he was the son of the nation. Now, there's an argument that the Korean Central News Agency, being state-controlled, is not totally independent as a source. And so, Scott, I'd like to quote from the New York Times obituary. North Korea has been essentially a family business headed by Kim whose image is captured in monuments in every town and who is credited in the national mythology and in song with the country's creation and development. His cult of personality is everywhere. The New York Times then went on to say, with the nation's economy shrinking several percent a year and its factories grinding to a halt, seems headed towards collapse. It is the biggest security crisis in Asia. End of quote. In 1998, without even having to nominate himself as a candidate, he was elected eternal president of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. He's still the president. He is eternal president. So you're not only president for life, he's president in death. He is president in life and beyond. That's fantastic. I don't think we've ever encountered anyone to be president beyond their death. For that to happen four years after uh, after the great heart stopped beating does help reinforce his cult of personality quite strongly. Well, that's not, it's not a cult of personality. See, the difference between a cult and a religion <laughs> is that a cult has a leader that is still alive. So it's not a cult of personality. It's a, it's a religious devotion of a personality. It may also be worth mentioning, Scott, that despite his health and his age being 82, it is possible that his death was not from natural causes. The Carter negotiations, which we've mentioned, had got to the stage where within three weeks, there was a meeting scheduled between Kim and the South Korean president. It's not impossible that there were senior figures in the North Korean regime who didn't want that meeting to happen. One of which might have been our next dictator. Up next is Kim number two, Kim Jong-il, a mentally unstable binge drinker who liked to drive through the streets of Pyongyang at high speeds shooting out traffic lights. Don't we all? <laughs> Kim Jong-il was born in February 1941 in a Soviet military camp in Siberia. 
although every part of that sentence would later be altered by North Korean propaganda. His birth year was changed to 1942 to align with his father's birth year of 1912. And his place of birth was changed from Russia to Korea on the Pektu Mountain, the largest and most beautiful mountain in Korea. Apparently, as he was born, the mountain glacier cracked, a double rainbow appeared in the sky, and cranes flew overhead to announce his birth. That's cranes, the species of bird, not the building machinery. He, of course, Kim Jong-il, is the son of Kim Il-sung. The official biography of Kim Jong-il states he first walked at three weeks old and first talked at eight weeks. Kim watched his brother drown to death in a pond when he was just five years old. Of course, given the bloodlust he would show later in life, there's plenty of speculation that Kim Jong-il murdered his brother that day. And that runs in the family too. Uncle Ian's skipping ahead to Kim number three. During the Korean War from 1950 to 1953, Kim, number two, was moved into China to keep him safe. He trained as a pilot in Germany for a couple of years, then returned to Korea and graduated from Kim Il-sung University in 1963. I imagine it's quite easy to graduate from a university that's named after your father, who is also a dictator of the country. I think it also means you graduate with first-class honours too. We're told he was so naturally gifted, Kim was educating his lecturers. Kim lived a life of luxury, completely unlike the suffering of the North Korean people. He's a short man, insecure enough to wear 10cm platform shoes. He's famous for loving food, alcohol-fueled parties, and women. His former personal sushi chef had this to say, quote, Kim Jong-il's needs were met by large numbers of carefully selected young women, assigned to their special tasks. There were masseuses and girls trained to cater to the leader's specific sexual demands. One of Kim's secretaries went home after a night of drinking and told his wife about Kim's debauchery. She wrote an earnest letter to Kim's father, the dictator, asking how a man who led such an immoral life could safeguard the happiness of his people. She was arrested and led to a palace where Kim Jong-il was carousing. Kim ordered her to be killed as a counter-revolutionary, but as a special favour allowed her husband to shoot her on the spot. Their lack of discretion for debauchery is the reason why Uncle Ian doesn't have his own personal sushi chef. On one occasion, Kim ordered the girls at his party to strip naked and dance with his high-ranking government officials. But he prohibited them from touching any of his private dances. It was a power move to display his complete power and authority. Now, Kim Jong-il loved film, particularly Hollywood films, which were all banned in the country. He had the world's largest private movie collection. He was particularly fond of spy films like James Bond. After one of his father's many purges, Kim Jong-il was put in charge of North Korea's famous propaganda department. He realised that his path to power comes through idolatry of his father and promotes Kim Il-sung's divinity through film, music, statues and education. And he ran the espionage division like the James Bond movies he loved, full of bombings and dramatic assassinations. His problem is that the North Korean film industry is rubbish. So in 1978, he has a great idea. Let's bring in South Korea's best director and actress by kidnapping them both. These are the two most famous celebrities in all of Asia. Could you imagine if the Canadians decided to kidnap Steven Spielberg and Jennifer Lawrence to make a movie about maple syrup? Uncle Ian, is there anything else that's noteworthy about Canada? Curling? Canada have given a lot of people to the film industry already, remember? Mike Myers? Michael J. Fox? William Shatner? Drake? Celine Dion? Yeah, right. Where are we? So, Shing Sang-ok, the director, and Choi Eun-hee, the actress, 
were lured to Hong Kong by people pretending to be film producers. Choi was taken to a beach, drugged, thrown to a boat, and woke up in the workers' paradise of North Korea. Shin Sang-ok was tortured in political prison. Quote, Shin was instructed to sit in a cell and in a cross-legged position, head down and not ever move. The slightest flicker was met with a beating, called the torture position. The actress, Choi Eun-hee, was not tortured. She was given luxury accommodation, and Kim Jong-il took her to movies, operas, musicals, and parties, which actually may be a form of torture. After a few years of his torture, the director was released from prison and dramatically reunited with Choi at a party hosted by Kim Jong-il, which was nice for him because the two were married, but not that nice because they didn't know that each other had been kidnapped. They made some terrible movies and then later escaped to an American embassy in Vienna. Now you may think that Kim number two was guaranteed to replace Kim number one as dear leader. However, the country's manifesto specifically denounced hereditary rule. But through loyalty to his father and ruthlessness to his enemies, Kim Jong-il was officially designated his father's successor in October 1980. He was given command of the armed forces and succeeded his father as leader in 1997 after the designated three years of mourning. And he kicked off his rule with a purge of 2,000 party officials. As Kim Jong-il came to power in the mid-1990s, the government created a horrific famine. The unworkable farming techniques dictated by the centralised government, combined with bad weather conditions, ruined years of harvest. Private property was outlawed. All goods, including food, had to be supplied by the government. The principle of juche, self-reliance, meant Kim refused to trade with their neighbours. And with the collapse of their communist friends, the Soviet Union, North Korea was no longer receiving their generous aid. The UN estimated that North Korea had enough food for half of its population. The famine mirrors the man-made famines we've discussed in Ukraine under Stalin and in China under Mao. Starving people ate crops before they were fully grown, which halved the expected harvest. They ate bark off trees and some resorted to cannibalism and ate those who didn't survive. It was illegal to speak of the famine. It was dressed up as the Korean people's mighty struggle against their many enemies and given its own euphemism. The March of Hardship, a reference to Kim I's battles against the Japanese. So instead of acknowledging the famine or providing solutions, in 97, Kim Jong-il accused his agriculture minister for working for the Americans to bring down the country and was publicly executed. He did come up with one solution, Uncle Ian, and that was to feed his people by breeding giant rabbits. From East Germany, he imported 12 rabbits, each the size of a large dog, to start a breeding program. However, Kim and his friends ate the rabbits at his birthday dinner. So the breeding program didn't really get going. <laughs> Things were so awful that the USA and South Korea, the North's mortal enemies, sent aid in the form of millions of tons of food. However, Kim distributed the food according to his people's political reputation and degree of loyalty to the state and to Kim himself. The food was taken out of bags with American labels and placed in Korean bags. Anyone who sees the original packaging is told that the food is not generous aid, but that Kim forced the Americans to send reparations for the Korean War. The number of people... Killed in the famine is estimated at 1 to 3 million, approximately 10% of the population. And the effects still linger today with 1 in 3 children having stunted growth. Now, Uncle Ian, I hope you weren't expecting the deer leader to be gallantly suffering with his people. That's not how dictator bingo works. No, it's not. And so here we go. The Kims could unify with the South at any time and become one of the wealthiest nations in the world. 
Instead, the country of North Korea exists only to maintain the power and wealth of the Kim family. He had lobsters and other delicacies flown in from around the world for his 20-course dinners he ate with his silver chopsticks. He insisted every grain of rice be uniform in size and colour. He imported pizza ovens and two Milanese chefs to teach his staff how to make perfect pizzas. He was Hennessy's single largest customer, paying $1 million on their cognac every year. He built a $900 million palace for himself at the height of the famine, which includes a racetrack and water slides. Kim Jong-il's personal spending accounted for 20% of the government budget, which in a communist country is the entire country's GDP. So just to emphasise Kim Jong-il's commitment to his people, 17 different palaces, residences and resorts throughout the country. Now, Scott, I'm assuming he needed that many official residences so he could be visiting his people spread throughout the country rather than just spending all his time in one palatial environment. And he is reported to have had four billion US dollars stashed in European banks in case he needed to flee. So took something out of the Marcos playbook. He had a troop of two thousand girls known as the Pleasure Squad. They were recruited from the country's high schools as teenagers. They were composed of three teams a satisfaction team which performed sexual services, a happiness team, which provided massage, and a dancing and singing team. I know which team I want to be on. (laughs) And I've seen you dance. (laughs) Terrible. The new recruits undergo six months of training before they are interviewed by Kim. If they are chosen, they serve him until the age of 25, which is actually the same process used by Leonardo DiCaprio. Gwen's confused. There's a whole thing about Leonardo DiCaprio. As soon as his girlfriends reach the age of 26, they become no longer his girlfriends. As he ages, the girlfriends don't. Now, you're probably wondering how such an impoverished country could afford these luxuries for their dear leader. Kim funded his lifestyle by selling off North Korea's gold and weaponry through shell companies around the world. The infamous Division 39 cooked methamphetamines and heroin which was then given to diplomats to be sold overseas. North Korea also became the world's best money forgers, making American $100 bills. This bloke is just a mob boss running a country. Of course, the Kims are most famous for their tight grip on information. No foreign media is allowed in the country. They even broadcast signal jammers to prevent North Koreans from accessing foreign television or radio stations. They do have the internet, but only 28 websites. Into this vacuum of ignorance comes relentless Kim propaganda. Most narcissists, Uncle Ian, they would claim their shit doesn't stink. Kim claims he doesn't shit at all (laughs) because his digestive system is so efficient. In his youth, apparently, he wrote six operas and 1,500 books. The first time he played golf, he shot 37 under par with eight holes in one. He put down his clubs and never played again. What a loss it is to the sport of golf that Kim is so dedicated to leadership. Kim Jong-il of North Korea in 2011 invented the burrito. In 2011, invented the burrito? He died in 2011. Was he killed by a burrito, do you think? He might have been killed by the... uh the Mexican ambassador who got very disappointed at finding out that they hadn't been eating burritos at all. No, yeah, because the Mexican ambassador probably thought what the corrupt, imperious Western media will tell you, that wrapping food in corn tortillas was invented by the Mayans in 1500 BC. But obviously all those, all those people must be wrong. Kim Jong-il, apart from wanting burritos, desperately wanted nuclear weapons to make his regime invincible. The world assisted Kim with developing nuclear technology for nuclear-powered electricity, of course. But in 2006, Kim revealed a successful nuclear bomb test. It's um, a bit frustrating that 
all these countries were helping them with their nuclear program and then were surprised when he developed a bomb. Could their surprise be because he'd promised not to? <laughs> he's, so, he's such a good and trustworthy man. This is from the man who invented the burrito. I think we can trust him. So they got nuclear technology before they invented the burrito. That's true. They did, yeah. I mean, maybe they needed it to, to, to heat it properly. Or would it have been inappropriate to invent the burrito when the famine was still in living memory? He should have invented it then, during the famine. That would have been handy. Perhaps disseminated some of the food to people who were not him. Scott, you'll remember we were talking about the uh, plans in 1994 for the Korean leaders to meet. That finally happened in June 2000. Um, the very first meeting of North and South Korean leaders, Kim Jong-il and Kim Dae-jung. No relation. One of the outcomes of this meeting was the opportunity for family reunions, for families that had been separated since the outbreak of the war 50 years earlier. It is actually quite easy to escape North Korea through its porous border with China. The issue is that the family or friends that you leave behind will be killed or sent to the gulag. 200,000 people in political prison in their system of gulags, beatings and more inventive forms of torture are applied. For example, the pigeon torture, which chains the captive's hands behind his back and then hangs the hands on the wall so that his chest puffs out and feels like it will explode. Starving prisoners are fed food with human feces in it and they are told to cut down trees at the top of a hill for them to slide down and crush the prisoners below. All of this for the most petty crimes. For example, one man was targeted for selling goods to South Koreans to feed his family. He then made the mistake of acknowledging the famine, which was illegal to do. I mean, he did so to a government informant. And one in three North Koreans are government informants. And of course, after inventing the burrito in 2011, Kim Jong-il did die in December that year. Quite famous are the videos of public grief in North Korea. I recommend you look at them. They're, they're both terrifying and hilarious. Of course, it, it helped that anyone seen not grieving hard enough would be severely punished. At the time of his death, according to the Central News Agency, of whom we've previously heard, a fierce snowstorm paused at the instant that he died and the sky glowed red above the sacred Mount Paiktu in the north of the country. The same mountain he pretended to be born on. That's right. 16th of February, if indeed that was his birthday, became the day of the shining star. And after his death, he was unanimously appointed Eternal General Secretary of the Workers' Party and eternal chairman of the National Defence Commission. And Scott, you know I love a good obituary. The BBC said, Kim Jong-il was one of the world's most reclusive and enigmatic leaders, presiding over a secretive and internationally isolated country. The world's only hereditary communist ruler, he was criticised for flagrant human rights abuses and for threatening the stability of the region by pursuing a nuclear weapons program and testing long-range missiles. Time to introduce Kim number three, the current ruler of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, the respected comrade, Marshal of the Republic. Please note this man is not president because his grandfather, Kim Il-sung, is still eternal president. Although he recently added his father, Kim Jong-il, to be eternal leader. The goal being to make his bloodline rule unquestionable. In order to not have to name himself president, he has named himself the guardian of justice the guiding ray of sun, the sun of socialism, 
the son of mankind, the best incarnation of love, <laughs> the son of the revolution, the decisive and magnanimous leader. I love the decisive and magnanimous. It's so specific compliments he gives to himself in his titles. Very detailed. The ruler who smells like eucalyptus and sandalwood. It's important to note that he has two older brothers and he managed to outmaneuver them, uh, one of which being an effeminate boy who probably had no interest in rule and definitely his father had no interest in him ruling. The other one was Kim Jong-nam and he was in line to replace his father as dear leader but blew it when he was caught using a fake passport to visit Tokyo Disneyland, which um, didn't go down well with his father. Kim Jong-nam actually lived on the Chinese island of Macau uh, until 2017 when he was travelling back from a holiday through Kuala Lumpur Airport when two strange women rubbed a cloth on his face and ran off. The cloth was laced with VX nerve agent. He immediately knew something was wrong and told the airport authorities, then collapsed and died before reaching the hospital. It's been confirmed that the attack came from North Korea. But there's still speculation as to why, given that at that point, Kim Jong-un was, he was pretty secure entrenched in his role as, as leader. There was no immediate need for it. But perhaps he thought that Kim Jong-nam's existence was a threat in case someone wanted to kick him out and use Kim Jong-nam to replace him. It does send a pretty strong message that he was going to be ruthless, even with members of his own family. He'd previously had his uncle executed. His uncle actually had to go through the ignominy of being arrested twice, once in private and then again two weeks later in public view at a party congress. Oh, that's right. And he had to act surprised because they did it very dramatically in public so that everyone could see. So just a little bit about Kim Jong-un. His mother and his father weren't actually married. His father had two wives that we know about and three reasonably long-term mistresses that we know about. Kim Jong-un's mother was mistress number two, born in Japan of all places, but did have North Korean heritage. She was a a dancer, so was obviously attractive to Kim Jong-il because we've heard about his love of the performing arts. Um, So Kim Jong-un was born in 1984, Uniquely among these set of dictators, he was deliberately educated in Europe. So uh, at the age of 12, he was sent to Switzerland to live with an aunt and uncle. But he spent a number of years in Switzerland, and it was hoped that that exposure to uh, life in Europe may have encouraged him to look at a different future for North Korea, um, In reality, I think it's just exposed him to um, a different future for himself. And he's even managed to double his father's number of palaces. At last count, he's up to 33, which is, I can't think of a word other than obscene. While he was in Europe, his fake passport was a Brazilian passport. His name was Joseph Puig, and he enjoyed playing basketball. Not soccer. No, not soccer. Um, he'd enjoyed playing basketball. He's, he's, because his mother believed that all basketball players were tall, she thought that if Kim Jong-un played basketball, it would make him grow taller. Basketball players are tall, therefore my son should play basketball. Yeah, I can't think of anything dumber than that. Can you? Uh, I, I, can't, I can't figure that out. Just on the basketball, we should mention Dennis Rodman. Oh, yes. <laughs> Chicago Bulls player who played with Michael Jordan and won some championships, etc. He's an NBA Hall of Famer. I don't know what to say about this other than the fact that he's just ridiculous because Dennis Rodman himself is a very peculiar person, <laughs> very unusual figure, and, and he's meeting with, with this absolute nut who's gone from being a super fan to friend of Dennis Rodman. A couple of other things about the regime in North Korea. Uh, Scott, you mentioned about if you leave North Korea, then it's likely your family will be punished. 
And that actually goes back to the Chosun dynasty and uh, the practice of guilt by association. Um, and there are instances in North Korean prison camps where three generations of a family have been jailed because of what their ancestors did. One of the challenges that Kim has at the moment is that people in the northern part of South Korea are aware that some North Koreans have been able to smuggle DVD players into the country across the Chinese border. And so South Korean families will record Western programs and music on USB sticks, put them into balloons, and when there's a southerly wind, up go the balloons to float north across the demilitarized zone so that North Koreans, when the balloons run out of air, they find a USB stick inside and they can play it on their DVD players. That's fantastic. For some, that's their only exposure to the outside world. One thing that's been quite different under Kim Jong-un is his tacit allowance of some forms of capitalism, but it's all black market. Technically, private property is still illegal, but he's allowed his cronies, the elite in party, to become the oligarchy of North Korea. And so they make tremendous amounts of money bringing in illicit items, which then are sold at North Korean black markets, which have become primary source of trade within the country, primary source of how people actually get things because the government doesn't care to actually disseminate items through or goods or food throughout the country. So these black markets are the primary way that people actually live their lives. And it's a great for Kim because it allows him an avenue to set up special favours for his, his cronies. In terms of the repression of his regime, Scott, not sure if you've heard of what happened to General Hyun Jung Choi, who in 2012 had become Defence Minister. He vanished at the start of 2016 and was reported to have been executed for insubordination and treason. Among his many alleged transgressions, according to South Korea's intelligence agency, was falling asleep while Kim Jong-un was speaking. But he was not quietly eradicated. I'm taking this from Anna Fifield's excellent book called The Great Successor. He was publicly executed by anti-aircraft guns, a method that would have blown him to a pulp. Other officials would certainly have made a mental note to stay wide awake in meetings from then on. Oh, just the just the sight would keep you up for a while. Jeez, the anti-aircraft guns, that's a bit overkill, isn't it? In terms of the military, Scott, not sure if you've uh, caught up with the current size of the North Korean army. Estimates say it's approximately... 7.7 million people in the army. Remember, the population of the country, man, woman and child, is 26 million. That's crazy. It's, a, it's over a quarter of the country is in the army and they've got the fourth largest in the world. Unbelievable. I wonder what haircuts they have in the army, given that the whole countries are allowed... It would be the Buffon, surely. Yeah, because they're only allowed 30 uh, allowable haircuts in North Korea. So the army, I mean, they were even more strict. Perhaps it's only the the jarhead look. Though Kim himself flouts the haircut rules. He gets whatever haircut he wants. He he did become a four-star general at the age of 28, though, Scott. So <laughs> I that wonder was... how many operas he wrote by the age of six. <laughs> what, when he was learning to drive? <laughs> That's right, because when did he drive? Was he was at six when he learned to drive, apparently? But before he could see over the dashboard, he learned to drive. <laughs> Speaking of funny hair, we should talk about his friendship with the American, former American President Donald Trump. Um, after testing a lot of intercontinental missiles, it got Trump's attention. This was back in 2017, and Trump threatened him with fire and fury like the world has never seen. Kim called Trump a dotard, and Trump called him Little Rocket Man. In July 2017, Trump tweeted, North Korea has just launched another missile. Does this guy have anything better to do with his life? Hard to believe that South Korea and Japan will put up with this much longer. 
Perhaps China will put a heavy move on North Korea and end this nonsense once and for all. North Korea responded, saying Trump's comments were reckless remarks by an old lunatic. To which Trump replied, Why would Kim Jong-un insult me by calling me old when I would never call him short and fat? (laughs) I know this is serious, but that is objectively funny. One of those things that goes without saying, but doesn't go without saying. Exactly. The two of them would eventually meet in uh, Singapore and signed a joint statement agreeing to security guarantees for North Korea, new peaceful relations, and the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. The meeting did lower tensions, but did not create any lasting peace. Kim is still testing missiles over Japanese soil, and it was basically a cynical move by Kim to become closer to China by pretending to play by the rules. It's a continuation of really Kim Jong-il, his father's strategy, by flitting between crazed provocations and sudden de-escalations. Part of that is, are they providing an image for home consumption or are they providing an image for international consumption? I think it's partly for international. I think he wants the world to think that he can press the button at any time and he will do it, so you better keep sending me that aid. And so they basically use the nuclear weapons as a, as a ransom. Because Kim Jong-un, he saw what happened to Gaddafi. What happened to Gaddafi was Gaddafi ended nuclear program. And then 10 years later, he got the boot. Gaddafi's end was particularly grisly. Yeah. Scott, let's leave it at that for now. Yeah. The media of North Korea gets, I think, a bad reputation. They do do a lot of fact-checking. For example, in 2020, the North Korean newspaper explained that Kim Jong-un cannot bend space and time. I'm not sure why this is something they had to clarify, probably because they've spent half a century saying that the Kims are gods on Earth. But they put this article out. He cannot bend space and time. What I think that would be most disappointing for, Scott, would be the members of the Young Pioneer Corps. At schools, the curriculum includes some 80 hours of lessons on Kim Jong-un, That is, of course, in addition to the lessons on his grandfather and his father. But then outside of school, North Korean children between the ages of 9 and 15 are obliged to join the Young Pioneer Corps. Membership is confirmed in a ceremony held on a regime anniversary, such as the 16th of February, commemorating a birthday of the dear leader. Parents attend... And the child often gets a gift-wrapped present, like a pen or a school bag. Now, North Koreans don't celebrate their own birthdays. They only celebrate the birthdays of their leaders. So for many children, this is the only time in their lives they ever get a present. It's just your heart breaks. I mean, you compare the situation in North Korea to South Korea. You mentioned the GDP difference of 50 times. That's why he can't let any media in. Because you would see the way that the other parts of the world live. In South Korea, same geography, same culture, same history. They're doing 50 times better than we are. So, Uncle Ian, we have to pick a winner between Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il and Kim Jong-un. Kim 1, Kim 2, Kim 3. So, Scott, we uh, we haven't had a three-cornered contest before. No. In terms of who's the biggest, baddest, meanest out of the three of them, I can't overlook someone who's had his uncle and his half-brother executed and continues, even after an education in the West, continues to repress his people to the extent that he he has done. I am going to find it very hard to go past Kim Jong-un. You're going number three, Kim number three. I was thinking Kim too. Kim Jong-il, he established the dynasty. I mean, obviously it was established by his father, Kim Il-sung, but he was just at the right place at the right time. It was Kim Jong-il's ruthless pursuit of the top job that turned it into a a monarchy, effectively. But Kim, number two, got the nuclear weapons. He got his country through the famine that they created. 
rebranding it as a as a great struggle against capitalism. Starvation is a great struggle against capitalism. And I think that is the most significant. Kim Jong-un is just playing the same game that his father did. The blueprint was set by his father. So so we, are we agreed that it's either number two or number three? Kim the first, I think he was a believer in communism. And so he attempted communism for its own sake. Whereas these two, they just seem to keep it going purely to enrich themselves. So from the perspective of what we know about their regimes, it's a, a kleptocracy almost. Absolutely. The whole country exists purely to keep this family rich. And, and again, we've got that parallel with Germany. Once the Berlin Wall came down, the people in the former East Germany were absorbed into modern-day Germany and the autocratic East Germany ceased to exist and they became a, a Western capitalist country. Yeah. So the North Korean regime would be very aware of that. There's another element too. North Korea is currently a buffer between South Korea and China. Mm. I think China likes it that way. I think that what should happen is that we should send Kim with his $4 billion that he's siphoned off, to the top floors of the the Novotel. He should be sent to the Novotel in Jeddah at Idi Amin's old rooms. Well, I I guess given his many wives and mistresses, it's it's quite possible that Kim number two would have an equally rewarding Father's Day. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Who do you think? So we've got to pick a winner. I could flip a coin. Oh, reprehensible. The stability of the regime after the death of Kim number one and being able to hand power on to Kim number three, um, maybe that just gets him ahead in a, in a photo finish. Yeah, very close. Oh, congratulations to Kim number two, Kim Jong-il. He remains in the tournament to be crowned history's biggest dictator. The tournament continues next time where we go to Spain. Thank you, Uncle Ian, for another fantastic episode. Looking forward to our trip to Spain next time. Thanks, Scott. Quick question, just for fun. What's your prediction? What does it look like in 30 years? I think it's going to open up. Yeah, me too. I can't see how the regime can continue to fight off i'll call it westernism for one of a oh. better term oh you think it's going to open up in that way yeah i think it will they'll get to a gorbachev moment and realize that if we don't do it it'll be done for us I, I they'll think be it's... drag kicking and screaming oh you reckon but i think they will get to a stage both from an economic point of view um and from the point of view that the people as technology continues to improve will find out more and more about what's what's life like in other countries, and uh, I think that will put an enormous amount of pressure on the regime. I can see it going the way of China. I think that Kim is noticing the benefits of capitalism. He's subtly allowing that growth to take place. I think that he'll continue that, and he'll basically do a bit of a Deng Xiaoping, trying to keep politically himself completely in control while letting capitalism spread, but then the dictatorship is secure and basically using the capitalism not for the benefit of his people, but just to find new and exciting ways to enrich himself. (laughs) And stay in power.